That is not a marketing podcast, but nonetheless, a podcast for marketers. Well, if we look at the world currently, it seems it is especially kindness and compassion towards one another that seems to be in totally short supply. And it may be more important than ever now to understand where conflict comes from, how it escalates, and how to reduce the temperature in the room and ultimately resolve conflict. But this episode is about that. It's about how to reduce conflict in your workplace. And we are speaking to Liz Kislik about this. I'm quite excited to get her on the podcast because whenever you read her work or listen to her advice, you just always have that moment that kind of, you know what, I should have been doing this a long time ago. And of course, that's for a good reason. Liz has some 30 years of management consultancy and executive coaching experience. And she's written tons. But in the description, I'll drop a link to a TEDx talk that she did called Why There's So Much Conflict at Work and What You Can Do to Fix It. It is a really practical guide that I think can expand on the conversation here. Anyway, less from me and more from Liz now. And we're on a podcast with uh, Liz Kislik. Liz, thanks for getting on the call. Uh, I think it was in the end of May that I've gotten in touch with you. And I think it was a time when even Europe was um, still mostly under COVID lockdown. And it was some two months already into the lockdown. And I think I kind of sensed that it was a moment where people really were tired of their circumstances and and the tensions were really getting kind of starting to run high between uh, friends, between family, but especially colleagues. And so I thought I need to speak to someone who understands conflict. And so I got in touch with you and and now you're here. So thank you so much. I'm glad to be with you, Mantis. Uh, so before we, of course, uh, speak about maybe how the current uh, world situation affects uh conflict in the workplace and and how companies can maybe prevent that sort of conflict from emerging. I may kind of start with a a stupid question, but where does conflict come from? I mean, it's obvious when you see conflict, but what are the signs that you are leading into a conflict situation? So, you know, you're the first person who's ever asked me that question. Um, it It is not a stupid question. Um, because actually, I think if more people thought about that question, maybe we could have fewer conflicts because what really happens is that there's a kind of choice or difference of opinion or set of options, anything where there isn't implicit and explicit agreement or unity. Um, But when there isn't a single answer that all parties accept, the gap or the difference stands out. It, It becomes plain and 
it turns into a conflict if we experience discomfort over it. If we don't mind, then nobody thinks it's a conflict. It's it's just, um, you know, you like vanilla, I like chocolate. We don't worry about it. Uh, but if we notice the difference and it bothers us, then it can turn into some kind of power struggle. And the funny thing about it is, you know, you can have an internal conflict too. You can disagree with yourself. That happens all the time. All the time. And if you resolve it quickly, you don't even notice it and you don't think, oh, I'm having an internal conflict. It's only when it bothers you that you label it that way. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And it's it's also interesting that conflict, we usually kind of attribute it to individuals. Like we, we often say that the conflict is, you know, that person caused the conflict or, or but it always involves two people, right? Um, well, we just said, you know, it could just be you. So that's the first case, which is why you shouldn't assume that you have to get into a fight. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, sometimes you can live with it or sometimes you can look for ways to take care of it. But it does we only think of it as involving people. Mm -hmm. And part of what happens is that people are actually expressing the conflict. There are often circumstances in place that are a kind of natural ground on which an interpersonal conflict might happen because of the way norms or business processes or, um, the sense of history might already be set up. Okay, so maybe that's actually a good question to ask here. So, so what is the, the difference between the conflict that is caused by an individual as opposed to conflict that's caused by the way that the organization is set up? How can you see that? Uh, what is that distinction? So there are people that we all know who have a pattern that we've noticed, mm. um, they they throw grit in the gears. You know, they set people against each other. We mm -hmm. all know people who we think of as creating drama or making trouble, that kind of thing. Um, most often, they're trying to accomplish something to create either a kind of safety and security for themselves mm -hmm. or they believe that this kind of behavior has helped move them ahead in a way that has made them successful, either professionally or, or even because it gives them power in their family. Mm. Um, so there are individuals whose very behavior can either trigger or um, add to what I think of as structural conflict, but structural conflict is really based on having rules of operation in place that create the kind of differences that people notice and get uncomfortable about. So a, a really classic example of this in workplace stuff, for example, would be um, your sales force may often be in conflict with your operations team. Mm -hmm because they are compensated differently 
and they may actually be motivated by different things and the organization rewards them for different kinds of behaviors. So a salesperson is supposed to go out and please customers and that may require promising specific uh, customization or tailoring or, you know, the deal I'm going to give you is going to be as perfect for you as possible. That's how I win customers. And the person who is back in the shop dealing with production and operations instead wants all the work to be as standardized as possible because that's how you get high quality Mm -hmm. and that's how you get cost efficiencies. So they actually are required by their organizational assignments to want different things unless the leaders of the organization bring them together and make clear what the higher higher purpose mm-hmm. is. So what should the leaders of the organizations do? So if you kind of want to set up an organizational structure that that is set up in a way where it prevents this sort of thing from happening. It, it, it's set up in a way to avoid conflict situations. What, what, what would that look like? So in many ways, it's not exactly the organizational structure itself. It's mm-hmm. more of the communications and beliefs that are held by the people in the organization. So it's the responsibility of the leaders to set clear purposes and goals. Here are the things we believe in. Uh, Here are the ways we consider it appropriate to behave. Mm -hmm. And here is our mission, vision, goals and objectives set up in such a way that we can go back to our values and look at a conflict and say, What's really important to us here as members of this organization? Obviously, it's also when you have stress that's introduced uh, into the system by external factors, then that's another variable that you have to factor in as a business owner. And and of course, I'm referring to what's going on in the world right now, of course, the the COVID pandemic and and, and of course, what's happening in, in the U.S. right now. And how do you factor that in as a, as a business? How do you factor in stress that's caused by external factors? So there's no perfect way. Um, stress pushes us in many ways to try to control the conditions we're operating under. And again, that's for our own survival and for sanity and security. And when you think, oh, I have to do something about this. I have to control this. That can enforce a kind of scarcity mindset Mm -hmm. and set up the equivalent of a kind of permanent zero-sum game. I have to get what I want and what I need or I'm in danger. So I stop thinking about you and what you might need. Mm. It's almost as if uh, I keep thinking that the costs to me of giving in to you, those costs get higher and higher because, you know, there's, I have less control, I'm losing more. Right. And that can really exacerbate any 
underlying conflicts and also make very small things seem like a very big deal. You know, you talk about the pandemic here. I don't know if you experienced this also. We had the buying up and hoarding of toilet paper. Yeah, that happened everywhere. I think that's universal. Right. Because, oh, my God, what if I don't have enough? As opposed to, can we all have enough for now and then Mm -hmm. share when there's more? Mm -hmm. Um, We try to satisfy our own needs. And um, I think one of the things of sheltering sheltering in place that may have also added to this kind of thing, for many of us, working from home has been really... um, let's call it suboptimal. And, and we've had new scarcities. So scarcity of time, particularly for people who are now taking care of and trying to educate their own children at home, or are taking care of elderly parents or, you know, all of these new worries. So there isn't the time to work. And on top of that, we don't have our normal setups. These are all the kinds of things that make people crazy. And that's actually, that's something that I did want to talk about is this, because working from home, you know, many companies and, and thought that they had it figured out, you know, and especially if you work in a digital space, uh, like the company that I'm working mm. for, Social Bakers, you thought that your processes were set up perfectly, but there's still something that you're missing for by working remotely hundred percent of the time. There's something that is just always gets lost in the communication online. And I think that just adds another layer of stress. And I don't know if you noticed something specific there. Yeah, that's really true. Um, We're all spending too much time on Zoom and, and the equivalent. And one of the things about that kind of communication that can really rattle you and not in a dramatic way so you think oh this is rattling me but too much zoom and everybody starts feeling a little off and it's mm-hmm. because it is a little off um if you think about a zoom meeting you've been in part of the value and some of the pleasure is you can see everybody's face and that's mm-hmm. really nice i don't know about you but some of the meetings i've been in the first thing everybody says is, oh, it's so great to see you yeah. and, and know that you're there. And even if you haven't had a haircut in months and, you know, all those things. But if I am looking at your face on screen, I'm not looking at the camera. And so to you, it looks like I'm not looking at you. I'm looking slightly away. That's interesting. If I'm looking at, right? So when you look at me, theoretically looking at you, I'm not looking at you. (laughs) It's confusing to say this. But if I'm looking at the camera so that you feel that I'm looking at you, I can't actually see your image. So then I don't get the cues I would get if we were sitting in a room and I was looking at you. Yeah, I don't don't want to misquote this number, but uh, I remember reading that a study was done that something like 70% of the time is spent uh, actually looking at yourself in Zoom meetings, which is, it, it's a bit a bit crazy. 
Yes. Well, it says a lot about us. You know, we're, we're really intrigued by ourselves and checking on ourselves, but also in some ways that's the safest place to look. Interesting. Yeah. You know, um, the people who sit in a meeting room and think that everybody is looking at them, we usually think about those people as a little off. But on the Zoom screen, it really feels like everybody's looking at you. Um, so it's, it's, it's so unnatural, even though it's so useful. So um, with some of my clients, we may have a Zoom for a meeting where we need to be together. And it's easier to tell in some ways who's trying to talk than when you're just in a phone conference. But for one-on-one -on -one conversations, we either go back to phone or to be able to be on the network, we turn the video off. Like often it's a great thing to have the greeting with the video on and then just turn it off and talk. Mm. Because one of the things about the phone or audio only, if you are really listening, you can pick up so much from tone of voice and get a sense of what's going on with people in a better way than you can often with the video. Yeah, it requires you to pay attention differently, for sure. Yes, yes. Um, if if I may jump back to the the topic of of conflict, so one thing that I think we all notice is that not all conflict is really obvious, uh, and some conflict you just kind of feel it that it's there. Uh, but what would you say to maybe managers or, or or team leaders or organization leaders who want to somehow get a better sense of what that conflict is? So if you suspect that there's a conflict or you know that there's one, but people aren't articulating it specifically. Um, the first thing, if you're a leader, is to ask, are there things going on here that we haven't said? Uh, I'm fond of asking people to put it on the table is one of the things I say. You know, mm -hmm. what do we need to put on the table? Um, or with some of my clients, I use these uh well, you can't really do this if you're not in the same room. Yeah, you could. You could hold it up to the screen. Um, I use these elephant cards for the expression, the elephant in the room. And if there is something that's going unsaid, people will play a card and then we all have to focus and figure out what is not being said, who's willing to say it. Sometimes just because somebody plays the card, then we all realize, oh, yes, there is an issue and, and we figure out what it is. But it's very important to ask instead of just letting everyone be uncomfortable. And another thing that is very important for a leader or manager to do when there is a conflict is not to interview one side and then the other side. It's really important to have both sides together, talking together. It is possible that you may need to talk to them separately to get certain factual information, but they can, the, the opponents can build up the faults of the other side too much or 
only speak on their own behalf. When you have them together, it is often easier to ask them to think about the issue from the other's perspective. Mm-hmm. And then you can really get more on the table and look at what are the underlying issues and not just, you know, why are we behaving in this tense way right now? Yeah, and we tend to be, we tend to speak when you have a person in a room, uh, you would definitely, you kind of withhold saying some things that you would otherwise say if you are maybe in privacy. And social media is actually a place where you really see that, where where when you're not saying something to someone's face, in fact, you go way further and you may insult someone actually much further than you actually would if you kind of were able to sit in a room with that person, right? Yes, when you have to recognize their humanity. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this goes back to the point before about if we have a mutual purpose and I believe that you actually support that purpose, even if you happen to be stepping on my toes right now, I will feel better about you and try more to see things from your point of view. If I believe Mm -hmm. we're in this together, if we're separate, And I don't have to think about the fact that in the big picture, you actually want me to be successful. I just Mm -hmm. think you're in my way. And so I may come from a place of either more anger or more fear. And if I'm with my boss alone, I may be trying to convince my boss that my anger and my fear are justified as much as I am trying to get the job done. So what, other steps would you add uh, to this list? So is it, if you were to start, so if you identified a conflict situation and you were you were meaning to address it, is it really to get two people together in a room or, or what are the other steps that follow or proceed? Okay, so there are a whole variety and, and of course it differs with each case. It's not that there is an absolute kind of rubric or checklist, but in general, if you've established common purpose, it's very useful before you take it further to then actually create some space for people to calm themselves before you Mm -hmm. try to draw them out. You know, when people are very wound up, you're not going to get their best thinking. It, it sort of suppresses their executive function a little bit. Um, and so taking a moment, let's all have a drink of water, um, asking people to breathe a little, calming the body is very useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing. And then if the leader is clear, what we're going to look for now are what are the assumptions and patterns or history that have impact on what we're doing here. So it's not just what's going on between the two of you as if you're looking at two five-year-olds. It's actually Mm -hmm. looking at what brought us here, which makes everybody simultaneously more responsible and less of either a victim or a perpetrator. Mm-hmm. So that tries to get everybody into the same kind of context. We're here to work on a problem. 
we are not the problem. The problem is the problem. And by externalizing it and making it not the people, often you can take a more dispassionate approach. That's really interesting because then you're essentially, you're um, not telling someone that like, hey, you are doing something really wrong. You're actually, because people often may take that very personally as if like, oh, you're, you're making a value statement about who I am. But then you're saying, no, it's the problem is something else. Right? Yes. Instead of triggering their defensiveness, and of course, it's natural to be self-protective if you think the others are against you and what you want. What you want to trigger is a kind of openness to problem solving and curiosity. Mm -hmm. Because with curiosity, that's where the kind of empathy for the other position can come in. So even if I disagree with you, I can treat you with respect and I can learn more about what you're trying to accomplish. And then I can look for the mutual solution instead of looking for my solution. Well, what if you yourself are the problem? How, how can you learn about that? Because uh, sometimes people may not tell you. Yes, this is, this is one of the hardest things. And particularly if you're in a position of more authority, they're not likely to tell you. So in the same way that you referred before to when you just feel that there's something, it's mm -hmm. to actually go looking for it. But to start with curiosity by thinking it through from the other person's perspective, why might they be silent right now? I would think they'd be participating in this conversation. Have I said something to shut them down? You know, thinking from their perspective. Or if you are actually in a discussion with differences of opinion and you know your opinion is different from theirs, you can try the thought exercise of assuming that they are right. And if they're mm -hmm. right, what would you think of your own opinion? or how you're conducting yourself, you know? Um, and sometimes then you can, all of a sudden, it's like it snaps in and you can see, oh, given their considerations and their needs, what I'm saying would look either crazy to them or obnoxious or like I didn't care about them. So then I want to correct that misapprehension and explain what my big goals are. If you go back to the big goals and to values, that becomes a safer place. But the other thing is to actively check. Mm -hmm. It looks like the last thing I said upsets you. Did I make you angry? I want to step back from that. Please tell me what I did. Yeah, I can see how that can be tremendously useful. But... Empathy is not an easy thing to sometimes learn, especially if you're working really quickly as a and in the fast-paced environment. Empathy sometimes takes uh, you know second place, and you're just kind of knocking tasks out of the way. Uh, what advice do you have for managers to notice that moment where you, when you need to do this uh, perspective taking? Okay, that is a very good question. The first thing. I'm going to say is you probably won't notice it right away. Huh. 
So the thing is to dial up a kind of pattern recognition. Whenever I'm in a conversation with Steve, when we get onto this topic, I've noticed that the last three times it was a problem. Or when we were trying to correct this kind of situation, it was a problem multiple times in the past. Wherever you see that something's happened more than once, and certainly the third time, then it's just worth asking a question. Steve, I noticed that when we work on this kind of thing, it's not as smooth as when we're working on that other project. Have you noticed that too? And then you can uncover it. But of course, some situations that we arrive to, they we may have to face some difficult choices. And how do you know that you are maybe in a situation that cannot be fixed, that maybe this is a conflict that you cannot actually resolve and you may have to let someone go? How do you know that you're at that point? Okay, so letting someone go is actually not about conflict. Uh -huh. That is about their performance in general and um, your managerial responsibility to have somebody to remove somebody who is either creating significant disruption in the team, and so the net effect is negative, um, or who is not delivering because they're so involved in conflict that they can't deliver. If there is conflict and conflict is resolved, you wouldn't think about getting rid of them. You might think about asking them to work on the way they interact. The only reason you'd get to the point of saying, oh, I've got to get rid of this person is if they are too rigid, won't mm -hmm. give in for anybody, or if they create disruption. And then the first stage of that is asking them, why are you create, why do you feel the need to create this disruption? Now, that's not a good question for them. That's the question you would have. The way to approach it would be to say, in effect, I've noticed that in situations like ABC, you have behaviors like DEF, and the results of those behaviors are the team loses time or we make mistakes or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. those impacts are. So from a business perspective, this way it's not so much about them. From a business perspective, we can't continue to absorb those impacts. So how could we work together so that you wouldn't feel the need to behave in those ways I just described to you? Do you recognize that you're behaving that way? And again, get curious about it and have discussion about it. If they are resistant, if they are resistant to acknowledging the behaviors or if they are resistant to changing, and if you've worked with them over time, then it may be appropriate to separate them. Mm -hmm. I can see that in what you're saying, what becomes really crucial is sort of having a common goal for, for you as a team or as an organization, a very clear, like, where are we going and why are we doing this? And you are kind of an integral part of this in some sense. That's absolutely right. Because if someone says, no, this is my job to do and I do it the way I'm supposed to do it and I can't be bothered with how they need to do their job, that's a person who is behaving in an uncooperative way. And then 
you can either get them back on a better path about recognizing the value of their job, or you can talk about the way we work here. In either case, you're going back to either desired practices or to shared values. If they don't share the values of the organization, they don't belong there. If I'm thinking of this situation of working remotely right now during uh, uh, the pandemic, that question of shared values is actually kind of difficult because you don't, you may not see people for, for, for months, you know, longer than that. And you don't actually get people together in one space. So that sense of we're in this together is actually maybe more difficult to, to build remotely. And maybe people feel like they have more, you know, they do have their own practices in their own homes and leave them alone, leave me to my work. And and I don't know if you see that that could be a problem moving forward. So that is really an excellent and concerning point. And I think where I would start with that is if we don't make the right investments in the technology we use, then it breaks more often, needs to be fixed, needs to be replaced, and we have excess cost. I'm trying to make this as businessy as possible. Mm -hmm. If we don't invest in the conversations about shared values on a regular basis, and if we don't invest and plan for what you might operationalize as a kind of maintenance so that the first thing that happens in our group discussion is to see how everybody is. You know, mm-hmm. if if you are whatever kind of tech you're in, if you're on premises together, oh, I don't know, um, many companies have, you know, a daily stand up or huddle or whatever. Right. The first 30 seconds of that while everybody's gathering is a kind of take a sip of coffee and, you know, how you doing? That kind of human shared interest in our well-being, if that's not established, eventually it's going to fall apart one way or another. Of course. And so, yeah, like you said, we have to really invest time as managers to create like it, that if you don't want to do that naturally, that has to be a task in your calendar to do Correct. that. Correct. Think of it. Could, could we please not call it a task, call it a practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, but there's anything else that we would like to, that maybe you observed uh, during this time uh, in uh, how this has affected us uh, emotionally and and how it affects how we uh, work together and and cooperate together. Uh, Anything else to add here? I would say that even though it is part of my business, in effect, to help people resolve conflicts, during this time, I find myself to be distracted sometimes or overreactive we need to take care of ourselves so that we're aware when we're on edge um, and know when we need to ask our colleagues for a pass or Mm -hmm. to ask for forgiveness if we've behaved in some way that really wasn't great. I mean, the thing that's wonderful, whether it is on video or, you know, email, Slack, whatever it is, 
you can always go back to the relationship and acknowledge whatever misstep or mistake and ask to start over. We, we don't have to be stuck in it, is what I'm saying. We can live with ourselves and, and we can reach out to the other people we have to work with. Yeah. You can choose to prioritize the relationship as opposed to prioritizing that, you know, I really want to prove that I'm right in the situation, let's uh, let's say, and just, again, lean back to the humanity that, that you mentioned uh, before. Yes. And even for people who don't think of themselves as warm, they can think about their effectiveness. And conflict is, is a kind of friction in the system. And sometimes that's for good. Then you open the system to see what's not working. But sometimes it's just slowing you down and, and making errors in the process. And so the practice of resolving conflict or trying to behave in more humane ways to prevent conflict or make us more resilient around conflict, that is all for the good of the overall system and all the people in it, I think. Uh, Liz, where could you point someone who really would like to understand a little bit better uh, maybe about the steps uh, of how to deal with conflict or something more concrete, let's say? Uh, one of the places would be my TEDx, where I lay out one set of steps. Um, and there's certainly a lot of material on my website that might be helpful. Uh, there's a free ebook there, in fact, about the interpersonal aspects of conflict that any of your listeners are welcome to. And just reading about it is really valuable. We'll be sure to include all those links that you mentioned uh, in the podcast description. Um, there's a, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to uh, walk us through this and uh, definitely help me answer some of the questions that uh, I've been having about how am I approaching these situa situations correctly. And I think there's so much room for improvement because I think we all are human beings and we all make errors and it's to be expected. It's okay. Oh, yes. Um, your questions had a lot of insight and I was really happy to talk with you. Thank you so much. And, and I hope we get to speak uh, again sometime soon. I'd be happy to. Mm -hmm.